1: The Incomparable, number
5: 657, March 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is another one of our book club episodes. We're trying to do more book club episodes this year. Yeah, we are. And at the end of the book club episode, we tell you the next book. And that's why I'd like to mention that in the last book club episode, we said we would read Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, the author of Station Eleven. And we did, or at least some of us did, and those people are here, because once you read a book for a podcast, you really ought to try to be on the podcast. Otherwise, I mean, why would you read a book otherwise? Hmm, that not That doesn't sound right. Anyway, let me huh. introduce <laughs> my readers. Aline Sims is here. Hello.
2: Hello. I read this book.
5: Hooray! So I'm on the podcast. Check. Uh, Deb Stanish is back with for more books. Hi, Deb.
2: Hi, I read the
5: book and I joined the Goodreads group. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. You are on it. You are on top of it. Um, Erica Ensign, also here, also read the book. I did. I'm here to
0: speak for the prairies of Canada. Thank you very much.
5: Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll have a Canadian segment where the rest of us (laughs) will just tune out and Canada will happen. (laughs) Uh, And of course, it wouldn't be a book club without Scott McNulty. Scott, hello.
4: Hello. I mean, it would be... I just if I, if I hadn't read the book I wouldn't come, but I did well, read that's... the book. I didn't read the other one. Apparently, this is kind of a a, a low key sequel to The Glass Hotel, which is her oh. previous novel. Oh. Oops, uh, I have thoughts about that. It's guys. vaguely yeah. related, thoughts. but I haven't I haven't read that, so I don't know anything about it. But I people read have it thoughts, either. so maybe maybe we'll we'll hear those thoughts. Hmm. So. Emily St. John Mandel, I said, Station Eleven,
5: the world's gentlest apocalypse novel. Uh, We covered it many, many years ago when it came out. This book is a multiple time frame novel. It is set in 1912, 2020, 2203, and 2401. Uh, And you might be saying to yourself, is this one of those cloud atlases? (laughs) where
4: there's like the, one of them cloud atlas. one of them cloud atlases
5: <laughs> that, 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 you, that you get where there's the different time frames and they're all played by tom hanks that's a movie reference i haven't seen the movie i only read the book ha see look how intellectual anyway uh the answer is no friends because uh, anybody who's ever read any science fiction before will very quickly realize that this is a time travel story because um you know when you have characters who Look familiar and shout people's names, and then they meet them later, and they don't. The other person doesn't remember having done it, and that's because they haven't done it yet. And you're like, "Yeah, I saw that Doctor Who episode." Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it is that kind of story, um, and I don't. I don't want to make too much light of it because one of the things I think that I came away with having read Sea of Tranquility that reminded me of how I felt when we did our episode about Station Eleven, which is if you're worried Mm -hmm. about the details of technically how an apocalypse would happen, you can pick apart Station Eleven because a lot of it is like, nah, I don't think it would work that way. Uh, That seems not like really accurate. And I feel like similarly, you know, you could pick apart Sea of Tranquility as being uh familiar for people who've read other time travel novels and maybe even familiar in the way of the cloud atlases and all of that but i think i feel the same way about this as station 11 in the sense that you could do that but maybe you should take a step back and appreciate that it's uh, a a pretty and well written and kind of beautiful <laughs> and about feelings and about humanity and about uh about our uh, how how short a time frame we all have uh, as living people on earth and yet we're embedded in this massive you know history of humanity on on planet Earth so uh, and or in this book on planet Earth and the moon uh, anyway <laughs> I because see a tranquility it's right there in the title people so I I, I just I was reminded That's that funny. Emily Saint. John Mandela you read her books in part because they they can be kind of like pretty and gentle and have feelings and be kind of nice um, and then and then uh, and she's like yes 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 but also There's a time machine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
4: All right. I
0: I had Uh, no idea. (laughs) No, seriously, I've never I hadn't read Station Eleven. I hadn't read whatever the other book is that apparently sort of came before this. I never read anything by her. So literally the only things that I knew going into this book were the name of the author, the fact that she had written Station Eleven and they made a TV show out of it, and the title of the book. I did not know anything else about it. So it was kind of a fun journey of discovery of like, what kind of book is it that I'm reading? Is it is it a time travel book? Is it a parallel universes book? Like what What is going on here? And uh, and that was fun. I think it was I think it was structured and laid out really well to be a delightful uh, way to figure out what's happening uh, without feeling like, as Aline always mentions, the Machineries of Empire books, which are a very different version of that. Uh, and and with those books, it doesn't matter how much you read about what's going on. You're still going to feel like <laughs> that when you read those books here. Yeah. <laughs> here, it was just sort of the the gentle, the gentlest version of that, which was fun.
4: And I I mean I understand why people might read this and think, "Oh, Cloud this is the, she's pulling a Cloud Atlas." But mm-hmm. she really <laughs> I haven't read not. that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's David Mitchell is is a very different writer than she is and trying very different things. I almost was tempted to say he is more ambitious, but I don't think that's true because I think she is trying she just has different goals with her writing. So he seems much more interested in like the mechanics and and kind of dazzling you with how all of it hooks together. I think that that's true throughout his work. He's much more kind of experimental. Um, yeah. whereas um, Emily St. John Mandel is just a fantastic writer. and she is, like Jason said, she just creates these beautiful sentences and strings them together into beautiful paragraphs and makes this beautiful story that if you think about it through you know the the uh, the critical science fiction reader uh, view, Maybe you think eh, this isn't the most ambitious or exciting time travel story I have ever written, uh, ever read. I didn't write it; she did. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's so well written and so beautiful and such a joy to mm-hmm. read uh, that I didn't really care that it was like yeah. I've seen this before. It doesn't matter because it's it's it it's just that's good. not
3: the point. <laughs> yep. No, mm-hmm. oh, I cared. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Fair enough.
2: I'm really, Deb, I'm really interested to see what you have to say because I'm looking at Goodreads right now and saying, I have thoughts that we'll discuss on a podcast. So, um, I don't strictly agree with what everyone's saying, so I'm really interested to see what you have to say. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to take a step back and say that I
3: absolutely loved Station Eleven, and I have recommended that book a lot. In fact, when I listened to you guys talk about that, or or whoever was on the book club at the time, like, I was yelling because I disagreed with so many things that were being said. Um, But this is, like, the ennui of this book. It's just, yes, it's beautiful, but it's just, like... Oh, there's just it's just it's all it is it's all pretty with with no real substance I, except for two things that i think she said in this book that really really struck me but i was really frustrated because i did not read the glass hotel which was the book that came before this it's the one in between station 11 and um and this novel and I kind of feel like she's she's getting into the Stephen King thing of the expanded huh. universe of, you know, let's let's go down the gunslinger road. Right. And and that's fine, except it, it's not playing. It's not playing through. So she's this book has characters in it that were main characters in The Glass Hotel. Oh. And and I find that really frustrating that the story is like kind of continued. But those characters just kind of go. Phew, you know, like the firecracker that doesn't go off. And and they don't have to be. And that's fine. They can just be background characters. But she made them a main focus of this story. And in fact, there's one can we talk spoilers? There's one yeah. character that that dies um, and we find out she just sort of, you know, fell off a ship and nobody knows what happened to her or where she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, she's just going to be in the next novel. Like, I know that now it, because well, this and, is what happens. And those are the yep.
5: characters from the of Hotel, which is why I started. I I was I will I will agree now that I know this. It's like. That seemed really tantalizing, like, ah, oh, maybe she traveled in time or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, or maybe maybe what happened in the Glass Hotel it explains it. Or maybe that's another book I don't even know no. now, because the husband no. with the Ponzi scheme and all of that, that is from the Glass Hotel, apparently. So Right.
3: Oh, and there's okay. characters in the Glass Hotel that were in Station Eleven, but she changed oh. the mythos of Station Eleven, right. where the flu just sort of, it was a flu, but it was not the pandemic-level flu that it was. So... I'm a very, and look, I don't mind alternate universe things and splits in time, but like, I just feel like. A millennial reader, and this kind of sticks in my crawl a little bit. I know there's other readers out there like me, but mostly it was sort of just the ennui of the whole thing that that kind of dragged it down after a while. I'm like, why are these people even? (laughs) You know, like, why? Like, I, I just don't get it. And she kind of plays with that a little bit because we also do that book within a book thing, like she did with Station 11, and and she talks about that and it's very meta when one of the reporters when olive is on her book tour but um come on like a book tour like that i don't like i know what the publishing industry looks like nobody goes on that kind of a book tour
0: maybe um, they do in the future when there are airships oh yeah when transports oh, and, easier
4: and i bet she does mm-hmm. emily saint john Mandel. yeah i was going to say the
3: budget
4: where's the budget
3: for <laughs> the this? book tour as the
5: pandemic is closing in sounds very autobiographical in this yeah. case <laughs> mm-hmm. I
3: think. But she has a there's a question that comes up from about a character in her in her book that she wrote and saying, well, it just kind of nothing happened. It just kind of like died and there was it was so anticlimactic. no 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 thinking, it's not you a just character described the whole book.
0: it's the book and then and yeah. i actually i, I oh, took the way a, the book I I took right, a screen the the cap of it ended. because it made me worried because i came to this yep. paragraph and i will read the important parts it just says i was so confused by your book there were all these strands narratively speaking all these characters and i felt like i was waiting for them to connect but they didn't ultimately the book just ended i was like i was just like huh is the book missing pages it just ended and i was super worried oh my god. This, that's how this book is going to end. It's just going to stop. And it totally did not. and i was I was very relieved when I hit the end of the book, and I was like, oh, no, everything everything tied up tied up no, elegantly it didn't uh, <laughs> I really felt like I was worried about that. And when I got to the end, I thought, no, I thought every every single strand that I felt was important, and I did not know anything about these other books. So I'm just, just looking at this one. Uh, I felt like everything was like it all all these like woven strands are kind of like wiggling around out there and then at the end they just sort of like gently alight together and land and i just had the sense of like peace i don't think it to me it didn't feel like on (laughs) we to me it felt like just gentle relaxation and you know one of the questions of this book that's never really answered which i'm very fine with is the are we living in a simulation and at the end it comes to the thing that i have thought every single time i've seen a stupid tweet about this it's what if, so what? Who cares? It doesn't matter. (laughs) That makes no difference whatsoever. And the fact that the book just sort of gently landed there with all of the things that I cared about sort of tied up, I was just like, ah, it ended with a gentle sigh, as opposed to being like, what is this book missing pages? I didn't want it to go anywhere else. I thought it was, I thought it was good.
3: You say gentle sigh, I say a match that just kind of went.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I listened to this book with my husband on a road trip. And that, that passage, Erica, that you read came up and I looked at him and I was like, if that happens with this book, I'm going to be so mad. Like, if that's <laughs> foreshadowing, I'm going to be mad. And I, f- I feel like it did not wrap up at like at all. Like there's this fundamental question that's introduced in the book. And then they're just like, "Eh, it doesn't matter. Nothing really matters. Just like live your life. Just and I <laughs> I just I was like, so I I sat here Going through the desert of California, staring at the desolation, and then eventually the rolling green hills, listening to this, and that's what you leave me with? I just, <laughs> I just, could, I uh, um, did not love it. Um, I have read The Glass Hotel, and uh, when did I read this? Forever ago, like right when it came out. And it was interesting because I didn't know that the these books were related in any way so i'm listening to it and i'm like wait that that stuff about the ship about her that lady being a, a cook on a ship that sounds familiar and then i'm like oh um but i still don't remember the glass hotel well enough <laughs> to think about the continuity of things and i find that really frustrating that like the entire time I was listening to Sea of Tranquility, I was like, I, "I know there's stuff happening here that I'm just not picking up on because I don't remember the Glass Hotel all that well." I suppose that would be frustrating. I had I had
0: I been in that situation, it would have changed the 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 feeling of reading all of this. I think.
5: I think it's interesting. These two reactions are interesting because I I I I feel like this is similar to the the station 11 conversation a little bit too. And, and I enjoyed reading this book and I think it was very, very beautiful. And it gave me a lot of things to think about. However, I will agree. And I think it has an ending. However, I will agree that when I got to the ending, I thought to myself, huh? Like, like, what What's she trying to say here and it and and although I really did appreciate it, I enjoy her writing very much, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed this setting, and I like the idea that there's this i mean it is a little twelve monkeys, but like there's a sad man from the future who goes into the past and he's doomed, but he does it anyway, and he you know it's very easy by the way to violate all laws of time travel. I thought that was kind of funny. they're like, <laughs> no, 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 time institute, we have very strict laws, don't be a time criminal, and he's like, yeah, um Okay, uh, I'm just gonna be a time criminal, and it's like okay, well that was like first mission out. Okay, yeah, like, like right away they're like no, 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 seriously, don't. And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm gonna change time. That's just how it's gonna be. I'm worried about this author on her book tour. Um, I want her to get back to the moon. So yeah. Anyway, with okay, but
3: listen, like I could, oh, I could totally <laughs> understand if he. If he knew that what he was going to do was going to have a direct impact. So for example, if he knew she was going to step out of her hotel and get hit by a car and die, he could say, Oh, maybe you want to take the back entrance. But he's advising a woman who is three days out of dying of a of an infectious disease, which Chances are she probably already has in her bodies because that's how diseases work. Like, to go back to the moon colony, mm. like, he has no guarantee. Like, I did not see the urgency in that. In that idea of saving this person, because the even the examples his sister used were like, if you know somebody's going to drown at a picnic, like you tell them maybe don't go to the picnic. But this is like, it, I didn't even I, that part to me. I did not see his moral conflict in saying I'm going to save this person because it was such an it would be such a. I
5: don't know, like the
3: wishy-washy way to save somebody. I, I
5: I just again to pick it to pick at that as a detail. It's like I just go with it and say he obviously knows yeah. about the details of this plague in in the twenty third century, and so I'm just going to say that if he if he says maybe skip the book tour and go home, he actually knows what he's doing, and he's going to have that have that response. But my my larger point is when I get to the end, I I see what you're saying about the is this all a simulation man? Right. Cause that's sort of the thesis of it is like, Oh, there's a, there's a, I think very evocative where there's like a, there's like a, a train station and it's uh and, and these people from different times are for a moment, kind of like through a time anomaly, they're in the same place. And they like, there's the eerie music Mm -hmm. that's being played. And the guy from world war one is there all of a sudden in Oklahoma city at a train station. And like all these people have this experience and, and, you kinda have to go with the idea that the that the story is like, this is and therefore this is proof it's a simulation. And that part of the book, I'm like, okay. Or I mean you've got time travel in this story. It could mm-hmm. be all sorts of things. It doesn't necessarily mean. And at the end the point is like, well, but is it a simulation? Uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. And and that was the moment where I was like, Well, what's this book about exactly? What and, yeah. and like <laughs> <laughs> it, it, what what's it about? And I struggled with that because I, I have some thoughts about what it might be about. I, I, and it's all cloud atlasing by the way, no. it, <laughs> it is all, you know, everything's connected. And, and isn't it interesting that the, the man in, in, in 1912 is connected to the woman in 2020. And like, and the, the, the we have the character who's named for a, a, cha- a character in the book of the woman in the 23rd century. And like, it's all kind of interconnected. And I, uh, And I like that, and I like using time travel as the sad sap from the 25th century, time traveling to the other times as a way to sort of show those kind of connections. But I didn't, it didn't feel like she stuck the landing to me. It felt a little more wistful, like, oh, and we're done. Wistful. Uh And that, that part, yes. it, I, I, it, it was, it left a feel, and again, I feel like this is Emily St. John Mandel in a nutshell, which is like, if you're grasping for the tangible, like, thing you're 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 not going to get it but if you're like but it was but but it it imparted a feeling and Mm -hmm. it was it was kind of wistful then then it'll work for you but like I I and I see both sides of it um I think maybe I just learned my lesson from station 11 like look I know what I'm going to get here right and it's not (laughs) technical details it's going to be like did it leave you with a feeling but I did at the end my my initial feeling was puzzlement Because I couldn't really decide what the book was actually trying to do in that moment. I'm not sure it closed the deal for me at the end. Uh, Scott, I was wondering if Scott, who is also positive about it, had that same
4: sort of feeling at the end or not. Well, I am very comfortable with the idea that life is a series of meaningless coincidences. And I feel like that is what this book is saying, Mm. that there is no greater plan. You can try to do things. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Uh, and if you are looking for a greater meaning in the, the fact that the simulation may or may not have glitched and these people meet in a train station, uh, you are on a fool's errand because there is no greater meaning. Life is what it is. Go back home with your family because that's all that you can do, right? And that's uh, the other part of this is all these people are dealing with their families, right? The first character is an outcast from his family. Um, And by the way, Marisa, my lovely wife, could not finish reading this book because it starts with that character, and she hated that character so much that she stopped reading (laughs) the book. Sad rich boy.
5: (laughs) Second son. Only gets to go off and live in Vancouver. With
4: a
3: healthy allowance. With
4: a lot of money in a nice place. Yeah, Yeah. oh, poor guy. It is it is a rough beginning, I think, and I can understand people stopping there because he is not uh, a very sympathetic character. Um, but I think that's the the thing about this book is like you just hold the people close near to you close. That's the best you can do in life. You can try to save other people and it might work and it might not, but that's it. And so I think that's the moral and the theme of the, the book, which is, you know, maybe not breaking any new ground, but again... <laughs> Her writing is so evocative that I'm like, okay, I will just read whatever you write because it's so beautiful, and I don't really care, mm-hmm. and it and it distracts me from the meaningless. And this that uh. is a <laughs> fly.
5: <laughs> if
4: only we were all in a cloud I, atlas. Scott, I, then yeah, exactly. I
5: think maybe I
0: think maybe that's why I sort of felt that same way at the end of the book too. Was because really what it came down to was do do your best in the moment. With mm-hmm. what you can, and love the yeah. people that you can, and I mean that's certainly something that has come home to roost over the last three years of a, you know an actual global pandemic. That it's just important to enjoy the moments as we have them, and that's kind of how I felt. What I felt like I was doing all the way through the book, and and part of that was because of I thought the the elegant way that she sort of structured everything. Um, I liked how uh, the the only character that I actually really liked as a character um was uh the woman on the book tour and how you know i liked how her her lecture about pandemics was broken up by the monotony of her tour which just to me was a uh-huh. really interesting flip from like you know normally you would you would think of it as like you know the monotony uh, you know the the is broken up or the monotony of her tour is broken up by her lecture. But for some reason it felt completely the other way around. And I was getting little, little bits and pieces of the lecture um, that were just, you know, interrupted by a little bit of, of the monotony of the tour. And that was the part that I was kind of more interested in and, you know, little echoes like the time chamber being made of some kind of composite stone and that 2020 protagonist having worked in a showroom that sold composite tiling and, uh, And the fact that, you know, maybe we're living in a simulation because we've got this glitch. And I felt like at the end of the book, I didn't have a feeling one way or the other about whether it was in a simulation or not, because they were like, we're going to use this glitch as proof that it's a simulation. Except that then they caused the glitch. Here's the twelve monkeys thing, um, because yeah. that one character was there in every single iteration of it. But you don't find that out until you go with the story and you follow all of the different threads. And then by the end, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's him." And you know, I figured out he was going to be the one playing the violin a little bit before it was uh, before hmm. it was delivered in the text of the book. But it's, I, it still gave me that <gasps> feeling like, "Oh yeah," per-. like it just, it was like. I love doing jigsaw puzzles. And to me, that's what this felt like is just like all of the pieces calmly fit into place. We are making, you know, we don't necessarily know what we're making as we're making it, but we get to the end and there's there's a nice picture. It might not be a picture I love. It might not be a picture I hate, but it all fit together.
3: There was a bunch of pieces missing. Oh,
5: see, I didn't feel like that at all. You got the wrong puzzle, with Deb. I, I, De- Deb I, I, assembled the puzzle and was like, "Ooh, I do not like
3: this no, puzzle." I, and I and I do want to say, like, I I gallop through this book. I think I read it in two sittings, and I do love her writing. Her writing is gorgeous. I felt I closed that book with a happy sigh. Do you know what I mean? And I was just like, oh. But then I thought about it. That's the, the worst think about it, Don't do it. <laughs> like If you just and then it started, I was like, "Huh? Well, that really didn't make any sense," and that really kind of bothered me. And then, and that's the feeling that I'm left with. So, if you, if honestly, go into this book, enjoy what it is. Don't try to make it something that it isn't, because if you do, mm. you'll be looking at a jigsaw puzzle with two pieces missing, and it'll make you nuts <laughs> forever and ever. <laughs>
2: wanted to go back and um talk about the book tour because mm-hmm. Erica okay. like you I like I just thought it was so well done the perspective on it being inverted from the way we would think that an author would write about a book tour mm-hmm. um the way that she kind of flowed very seamlessly from events to event to event, I was just, I I was, as I was listening to that, I was thinking about like what beyond beautiful writing, what masterful craft that was. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of authors could have pulled that off. And I just, it's one of those things where I think I'm I'm on team dub here where I'm like, it, it's, her writing is beautiful. It's just, stunning stunningly beautiful her craft is really really good and the plot just it it doesn't work for me and um she tried to cloud Atlas you, I, and you weren't having it. Is what I'm. Mean. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. That's I haven't it. seen the movie. I haven't read the book. I have no idea. Well, the but, of
5: cloud Atlas has a lot more plot than this book <laughs> It is, it is, it is true. But cloud Atlas is multiple time frames, and like they're all like the same people, but they're all different people, and it's all you know we're all the same, and it's all connected, man. But there's no time travel or anything. It's more just like a humans are like this across time. And yeah, See, that's and, why
0: I've never read cloud Atlas. <laughs> and, that, and that is,
5: you know, that that's that's sort of 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 i i really got that vibe from this novel but it isn't right because it is also that there's literally a a guy with time travel who's in all the timelines, so it's it's very much not that but it's got that kind of like you know i don't know i i I did feel that like we're all connected and look at the echoes and all of that but then also there's also there's like a guy from 12 out of 12 monkeys who's uh In all the timelines, doing this thing, and and you, yeah, a a seasoned science fiction reader, perhaps, will realize that the mysterious characters that keep appearing in the various timelines are the one guy, or at least are (laughs) one guy who will Mm -hmm. be revealed later to be the guy that it, of course, is. Um, But you know that's okay. I, 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 again, it's not that kind of book, right? This is this this is this is the kind of book that is. You know, sometimes I think writers, uh, like super highfalutin literary writers feel like they're um slumming a, a little bit in genre fiction. Um and then other times I feel like it's like isn't it nice that a writer who writes such beautiful things decides to write genre novels? It's like, "Oh, look. She wrote one for us everybody. It's got <laughs> she, did a, she did a Cloud Atlas with the 12 Monkeys and yet it's beautiful and it's like, yeah, great." Great. It's and I, like, yeah. I also
2: loved the interconnectedness. I loved the, like, whatever they are, the time holes, holes through time and space mm-hmm. that kind of linked everything together. I thought, I just, I don't know, that really made me happy. And I thought that the way she revealed it, again, masterful craft. She It just, like, the way the story, the way she leads you is really, really good. It just was really good in that aspect. Yeah.
0: And the research angle, too. Like, the 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 way that these characters go about figuring things out is digging through archives and finding weird old video footage and going and performing on-site interviews. Like, it felt like, you know, there's like this tiny little drop of a detective novel that is, you know, set in the middle of this, like a little gem in a, in, in a setting. Oh. And, and it just... All of the little pieces to me just added up to something that was I don't know maybe b- bigger than the sum of it, its parts uh, for for me.
3: Yeah, there was I mean there was moments that just uh, that I will never forget, like the cat that comes back in the time machine after the agent like <gasps> cut the trail. Mm-hmm. I thought like that was just it, it, it's such a little thing, but it's just it, it slid in there perfectly, and you're like that is really cool. And, and, and the characters
5: like, are like like there's a character who's like making sure that the cat like he's he's like. You know, take care of my cat. Right, like from yep. 1985, a time, it's a time cat, <laughs> yeah. but take care of take care of the cat because it's like as a reader, I'm like, yes, I would like to know that the cat is being taken
2: care. of. Yep, me too, hundred
5: percent. Does
3: the dog die at the end? I need to know mm-hmm. these things. Yep, and then even during the lecture, I mean, there was one part of it, and I highlighted as I was reading it, um, where she talks about, and uh, the quote is like, you know, as a species, we have a desire to believe that we're living at the climax of the story. It's a kind of narcissism that we want to believe that we're uniquely important. And I thought, ripped from the headline. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that was such a really good quote. And even then, um, a little bit later, she's talking about the uh, the people's hunger for post-apocalyptic stories. And it's not that they want to see the end of the world. They want to see what comes next. And it all comes down to a secret desire to live without technology. And I thought, you know, I could definitely see that. There's like this subsection of these these wacky doomsday preppers. and they really want to go back to a time when it's like a little fiefdom in, in their world and they don't have this big scary global presence that they' that they're just being bombarded with every day. Um, so those two things, it was a very astute observations by the author that were inserted into these lectures. Um, and like you said, you know the, the craft of this novel, is really, really well done. It's just this missing puzzle pieces for me.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see it. I feel like the reaction to this has been very similar to our reaction to Station Eleven, which is really funny. <laughs> and
0: I I listened to that podcast and decided not to read the book.
2: It's a it good is. book. It's such
5: a good book. It is. <laughs> just don't get caught up on like, oh, but why, how could there be lights there? And how would they get the... The engines running or the generators—it's like jet look, fuel doesn't last that long. Lo, like, like, <laughs> it's not yeah, your book, <laughs> exactly right. It's like you just got to get over it. It's pretty. <laughs> get over if it. If you but... want a
3: story that makes you feel good about humanity, that is the
5: story yeah. to do uh, I, mean, and I could art use that is important for end of yes. end of the world uh, novels. It's not a uh, not a bad. Sometimes I wonder if Emily St. John Mandel really is just kind of trolling us. She's like, oh, I'll use your genre conventions, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I don't know if trolling. But, like, I, I do think there's some level of her that is subvertive, subversive, where she's, like, interested in using the tools of the genre, but not interested in using them for what they were built for. And mm-hmm. um, and I wonder if that's why sometimes we react the way we do to her novels, where she's trying something different. And it may work or not work, or it may hit different people differently. But I do feel, having read two of her novels now, that maybe that's part of her game, is, like, using the... Like, because she's probably read these novels too, and 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 her goals don't seem to be what the goals of a lot of novels that use these tools are, and I'm okay mm. with that. Um, in general, I kind of like that idea that she's like, yeah, I'm writing about a post-apocalypse, and uh, if you're worried about how the how the gas generators work, you're reading the wrong book. <laughs> like, I, have, <laughs> I admire that, I, even if I also am wondering why the gas generators work. Uh, I still admire that she she's... doesn't care.
0: She's definitely trolling Canadians. I can, uh, I can uh, tell you that. Okay. Canada segment time. You took Canadian time. notes. You now Canadian well, let's go into notes. Canada corner where
5: Erica would like to talk about, uh, <laughs> is Emily St. John Ooh. Mandel herself Canadian, uh, but from British Columbia. Tell tell me wh- how she offended Canada, Erica. Uh,
0: no, it was, it was actually more, I felt like this is another example of her being a really good writer because uh, like Marisa, I completely bounced off that first character. And I think You're supposed to. I don't think that you are supposed to feel any real deep connection with this sad sack, you know, Britishman who, you know, Edwin, who has come over. And, uh, you know, he he has to he poor thing. He has to go through the Canadian prairies, which that's, you know, for those who don't know, that is where I live. I (laughs) I live in the Canadian prairies. Uh, Yes, there are there are very big skies, which he did not like. He didn't like the uh, the like horrifically distant uh, horizon or like some of these lines made me laugh out loud and I had to share them with my local friends because they were just so dripping with the sarcasm and rancor and it was I just I was like wow you you hate all of the things that I love like the the, the big sky the sunlight like yeah you should move to
5: the are- moon the moon has a very near horizon <laughs> mm-hmm. and it wouldn't bother him. That's and there's true. very little sunlight, um, especially, especially if you're in that one city the <laughs> sun broke. It, oh. The night city. But, yeah. uh,
0: but that was it was also like a little bit frustrating because I also found myself sort of mirrored in him as a character. Like there's a line where it says I'm capable of action, but prone to inertia. And I was like, mm. I am so attacked right now. This
2: is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this is not... Isn't that the human condition, though? Like I know, most then, of us are that way.
0: I, that's true. But then then he gets onto a point where he says uh, uh, counting has always calmed him. I literally count when I get anxious. That is a thing that I do. And I was like, I don't want to be this guy. This is awful. <laughs> But it was really funny. And then, you know, he gets to he, he doesn't even particularly like Vancouver Island because it's England, but not quite England, which, you know, that's that's actually a pretty fair description from from what I understand. And and I just thought it was she did such a good job of making him sort of like blandly distasteful because of his blandly distasteful opinions about these things that I am surrounded with uh, every day. But I also like the idea that uh, in twenty twenty three and uh 2203, uh, the city of Red Deer, Alberta, has towers. (laughs) It's like, wow, that's going to be a big change because it does not right now. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
5: Okay, well, I hope we've given people an idea of this, and they, maybe they'll be like Erica with Station 11 and be like, nope. Um... <laughs> But I I I feel like I
0: may, I may, after listening to you guys talk about Station Eleven in the context of talking about this book, now I am thinking maybe I will go back and I will read Station Eleven and see what I think.
3: I loved it,
0: Hmm. and I'm going to say, like, yeah, I am now. I don't want to Deb. But see, I have to say, like,
3: despite my criticisms, and this is, you know, we're kind of here, like, to talk about the book. And and like I said, I did enjoy it. I'm all in on her next book. Like, I want to know what happens to Vincent, because I have no doubt that this character is, like, going to pop up in an odd thing. And even if it, even if she doesn't, um, her writing just makes you feel something. It just, when you're finished with one of her books, there is a feeling of Peace, um mm. of hope uh, and a little bit of hopefulness. Tranquility? <gasps> Maybe that would be oh, a good word to use for this book. Mm. Hmm. But regardless, like I i would read the next one. And I'm actually going to go back and read The Class Hotel because I kind of bounced off of that a little bit. Like, do I really want to read a novel about a Ponzi scheme? But now I kind of really do. Because... Well, what you
5: really want to do is you want to get um, two friends to buy the book. Ah, and then one of them gives it to you and then they need to get oh, two friends to buy the clever, book and give it to them clever. That's how that how that how that'll work all right sea of tranquility by emily st john mandel let us move on to another uh, segment in this podcast now which is uh, one where i end up buying books i end up spending money <laughs> Same. i end up or i put things on my uh on my wish list for the library one of those it is what other books have we been reading that we recommend? I used, to, again, formally called What Are We Reading? But don't take it literally. It's really about <laughs> books we've read recently that we would like to recommend. Uh, Aline, do you have anything you'd like to recommend?
2: Ho, ho, ho. Um, so here's my qualifier. My life is nothing but stress right now. And what I have discovered about my reading habits when my life is nothing but stress is I like cannot read science fiction or fantasy or anything that requires me to learn anything about a new world or, mm. <laughs> or whatever. I just, my brain will not. So what that means is I've been reading a lot of romances um, and some kind of like literary fiction that I've been hearing good things about that is not typically kind of the direction I go in. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books on my list to oh my talk God. about very briefly um okay so the first is a queer romance called boyfriend material by alexis hall the um the conceit of the book is um a guy needs a boyfriend to keep his job so he and an acquaintance decide to be each other's boyfriends and of course they fall in love and you know whatever but um, I liked it because uh I just liked the writing it was very accessible um one of they're both kind of cynical characters which I always appreciate in a person um mm-hmm. And um, it does have a sequel, which I do not recommend reading. I hated it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't really like it. So just read boyfriend material, pretend the sequel doesn't exist. Um, The next book I just finished yesterday is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is a book that I keep, I have, has been popping up on my radar for months now, just kind of over and over and over again. So I finally got it from the library. It was really, really good. It's about uh, an early Age of Hollywood star finally decides to tell her life story, and it's revealed why she had seven husbands. Um, And it it was just... It was really well-written. She's not a likable person (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. She's not meant to be. Um, But the way that... It kind of tells us about um the things we know about early Hollywood, but we don't really talk about like men dating women as covers because they're actually gay and that kind of stuff is explored in this book, and I liked that. Um, I've been on an Emily Henry kick lately. Um, three of her romances that I've read lately, which might be the only three romances she has. I'm not sure, is People We Meet on Vacation, Book Lovers, and Beach Read. They're just her voice is again easy to read, easily accessible. But the one if you're gonna start with an Emily Henry book, uh, of the four that I've read, the one I would recommend is A Million Junes. It is not I mean, it has some romance in it, but it is not a romance. It's like a magic realism book. And the way that family history can haunt us, even when we don't know what's happening is like such a major like it's 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 the reason this book exists. Um, It's basically um, feuding families, not the game, but uh, (laughs) two families kind of have this grudge against one another. Nobody really knows why or understands why Um, the two the two youths um, are attracted to one another and kind of the family history is explored the way it was done. it, It just it was just beautifully put together. Um And I really enjoyed it. The other book I would highly, highly recommend uh, is a literary fiction book called Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And it is about, um, I don't even know how to summarize it, but I will say an octopus is a narrator, first person perspective narrator in this book. Read it. If you don't listen to it, read that character with like, Frazier Crane's voice in your head, because that's how it was narrated in the audiobook. And it was tonally perfect, just kind of like the superior um, creature who knows all um, helping bring two people together, not not in a romantic way, but in just this lovely friendship way. And then the last book on my list, I know it's been a long list, I've been reading a lot, is A Prayer for the Crown Shy by Becky Chambers, uh, which I think we're going to be talking about in the future. I don't know how distant. Um, Becky Chambers, always a solid bet. You do need to read um, the first book in the series. Why am I spacing on the title? Um, But you do need to read, it's the Monk and a Robot. Monk, Monk
5: and Robot series.
2: And if you're not if you're not fascinated by a monk and a robot, I don't it's know what song to tell you. psalm for the
5: wild built and a prayer for the song crown shy. for Shows.
2: the wild yeah. built. Thank you. Yeah. So prayer for the crown shy, also very solid. So read those two because we're going to be talking about them for okay. award season.
5: Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're novellas, but we talk about those two. Mm-hmm. Deb, do you have any uh, book recommendations for us?
3: I do. I'm the type of person, I always have two books going at the same time. So one Ooh. is um, an audiobook. Ah. Uh, and I can only listen to nonfiction on audio. That's just the way I'm built. Like I, I get too caught up in the story. And I read faster than I listen. So I want to gallop ahead in a book, but I, I want to slow down and listen to nonfiction. So I just finished a book called Maiden Voyages by Sean Evans. And it is an anecdotal social history of the golden age of ocean liner travel and focusing on the women who not only traveled on ocean liners, but worked on the ocean liners. And it starts, you know, turn of the century stuff and how it really transformed uh, women's lives who were able to get jobs as stewardesses and um, g- companions for steerage class, and it doesn't always talk about the glitz and glamour because there is obviously a lot of that. It's a fascinating era of history, but it also talks about the the immigrants who came from uh, Eastern European to to America, and it really is a transatlantic crossing between the United States and England. Um, but it really is one of those kind of Bill Bryson esque anecdotal histories that tie so much of history together around a thing and this particular thing is the golden age of ocean liner travel. So if you're interested in that at all if you if that kind of thing pings your in, uh, pings your interest looking at it from this perspective was really a lot of fun and I really really enjoyed it. Um the second thing um I'm excited about it's a book that I've already read but the sequel is coming out March 21st. So I'm going back and rereading that. And it's a Garth Nix book, which I'd never read a Garth Nix book. But sometimes you're just looking for something. um, And a book hits you at the right time. And I was looking for something light and frothy and kind of fun. And I found the left handed booksellers of London. And it's set in an alt, sort of an alternate London of 1983. And sort of the premise of this is there is an old world with old gods, and the booksellers of London are the bridge between that world and our world. And they basically kind of keep that world in line. And of course, there is a girl involved who's looking for her father and bumps into the booksellers, and I'm not going to give a lot away, but it is just a fun, fun book to read. And it hit me at the exact right time, and I absolutely loved it and i didn't read it when it first came out so when i was kind of saying oh i wonder if there's a sequel because it says book one of the uh, booksellers of london Mm. sure enough a sequel was coming out and i think i read this a year ago it's now coming out now i immediately pre-ordered it got a notification saying hey a book you pre-ordered is coming up so the book that is coming out march 21st is the sinister booksellers of bath so uh, if you're looking for books that talk about old world, old world mythology, um, books, the power of books, kind of some really fun, witty dialogue and fun characters, I highly recommend them. If if you're not looking for anything deep, like like Emily St. John Mandel,
5: <laughs> this is where you want to land. The uh, that's how they sell so many books, Deb is uh the the booksellers (laughs) they they just make more books in the series that's how they They do it that's their secret the secret to the booksellers and i'm here for it (laughs) all right erica what about you
0: I haven't uh, done a whole lot of uh, extra reading since our last book club episode. I will say that uh, during the What Are You Reading section last time, I mentioned that I was in the midst of reading Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, and I will say I finished it and it was very good. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh, no, I need the next book. Just kind of like what Deb did. Uh, the Shadow Cabinet is the the second book in the series, and it's coming out on my birthday, June 13th. So that's, a, that's an easy pre-order. Uh, I'm excited for that. Um, also, I will point out that the nominees for the Nebula Awards have come out, and mm, the one <laughs> we'll be talking about those, yes. but the one thing I wanted to mention specifically is one of the short stories that is nominated, and we don't always like dive deep into those but uh, but the one that I feel the most strongly about is called Rabbit Test by Samantha Morris. It is from Uncanny Magazine, and I had the pleasure is not the right word I had the honor of reading that story, uh, narrating it for Uncanny Magazine podcast episode forty nine A. And it was I think one of the hardest but most fulfilling things that I have ever done for a podcast. I highly recommend reading this story, but please heed the content warnings. It is a uh it's a, a story that takes place in a bunch of time frames kind of kind of like this book did um, but no time travel uh, and it is about the history and future history of abortion access and what that looks like in you know different ages of technology and society and it's it's a tough read but such a good one and really important so like if you're not ready for it don't don't read it but uh, if you feel like you are ready to dive into something like that it is an Excellent, excellent uh, piece of piece of art. Um, and then on the lighter side. Uh we will probably be talking about this because it was nominated in the Nebulas for our Best Novel. I did very quickly in one day Zip Through Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Um, so right now I am actually downloading the uh, the Smooch, uh, Agents of Smooch podcast oh. episode on the Incomparable Network about that, which came out a long time ago and I couldn't listen to because I hadn't read it yet. So I'm going to listen to that and then eventually we'll probably talk about it here. Yeah.
5: Also recommended in our book draft uh, by James Thompson. Back mm. in episode I think 6, he's the one that 35. brought it to Smooch. Yes. <laughs> it could be. James, now that he's rediscovered reading, he's a problem. He's, <laughs> yes. he's all over And a solution. Yeah. I have a oh. friend
3: who's, um, whose house caught on fire and burned down a few weeks <gasps> ago. And oh. she, somebody gave her Legends, um, the, the Lattes book, mm-hmm. Legends, Legends lattes. and Lattes. And she was... She's like, I have not been able to focus on anything because I'm so stressed. She goes, but I started reading this book and it was like a bomb for her soul. Like it was exactly mm-hmm. what she needed. So
0: the episode title of the smooch episode is a warm bath of a book. Yeah. It's very appropriate.
4: There you go. <laughs> Scott, how about you? Uh, well, I have thoughts about legends and lattes, but I will save that for uh, future the future podcast. Yes. Mm. Uh, Hashtag teaser. I, <laughs> uh, I will uh, echo a book that has already been recommended. Remarkably Bright Creatures is a book that is not in a genre that I typically read, but sometimes what I do is I will read a review and then just see if it's available at the library. And if it's not, put it on my wait list thingy and then it just shows up. And I'm like, I guess I spat, past Scott was interested in this book that I have no memory of. Why don't I read it? It's a little gift from me to me, uh, if I (laughs) like it. Uh, And I did like it, Remarkably bright Creatures. It's it's a great book. Um, And uh, probably the second best octopus-related book I've read this year. (laughs) Uh, The first one is also nominated for Nebula, so I won't say too much, but The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor uh, is fantastic. Uh, And I said on my blog that it probably would be the best book I've read this year if I hadn't read Hopeland this year, which I have. Uh, And so it beats out. Uh, the mountain in the sea so far, uh, but it's really good and it, it's nominated for Nebula. So uh, chances are other people think it's good. Uh, and, and I read so Vo is an author who mm. wrote uh, a retelling of The Great Gatsby called The Chosen and the Beautiful, or The yeah. Beautiful and the Chosen, The Chosen and the Beautiful, yeah. uh, which I liked. It was beautifully written. I didn't. Love it. Uh, and but yep. then she wrote another book called Siren Queen recently, uh, which I did in fact love. Mm. Uh, and it's a book kind of set in, I'm not the person that's very interested in like the golden age of Hollywood, but this book is set in kind of the golden age of Hollywood. <laughs> but it is set in a time when uh, starlets like become actual stars and there's magic and things happen. And, you know, uh, and it's one of these books where you start reading it and you think, is this a metaphor? Like there's a person who like on the set ascends to stardom and there is a physical manifestation. And you think, well, she's just having a metaphor, right? And then you continue reading the book and it's like, no, in this world, that actually happens when someone reaches a certain point in stardom. Uh, So it's a, it's a story of this person trying to become a star and seeing if that's worth it or not. Uh, I will let you read the book to find Ah, out if it is or not. Uh, space opera is something that I enjoy, and next month uh, a book is coming out called The Descendant Machine by Gareth L. Powell, which I have read Ooh. because uh, I'm on NetGalley and people approve my requests sometimes. Uh, it is kind of a sequel, but not really set in the same universe uh, of a previous book, Stars and Bones, uh, which is about kind of the, the space opera e setting is... Uh, Humanity was going to annihilate itself with nuclear weapons, uh, but then, and was being observed by this ultra-powerful alien, and right before the nuclear weapons hit, uh, a scientist was able to basically invent this teleportation technology, and so the alien thought, oh, these humans are interesting, stopped the nuclear annihilation, took everybody off of Earth... Put them in giant space arcs and said you can never come back to earth you can never settle you must wander the stars um and so they do and there's this series of books about it and so i enjoy them there huh. you go uh and this final one that i will mention is uh, a book that has many adult themes uh, so uh mm-hmm. if you're a kid listening you probably shouldn't read this book but or now you definitely they will, will definitely will uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> It's called *The Book of the Most Precious Substance* by Sarah Gran, and it is—it tells the story of this this kind of magical spell book uh, that has five acts that you must uh, uh, do. You don't must you you don't have to do them, but if you do them, you gain power, and they all involve um various bodily fluids <laughs> that you must mm. create in the process of the ritual. Uh as it's, it's uh Sarah Grant has written a series of detective novels and this is totally not like those. <laughs> uh but it was it was really good. So there those are my recommendations. Did you uh
5: you just sort of slid Hopeland in there. Mm. Was that a, well, did that I, count I, as a pick? Because you said it was the best book you read this year, uh but not I the best octopus book. Did you mention it last time? Well, I did mention it <laughs> last boasted time.
4: You posted it last, but it's out I, now. I, I did. It yeah, is out now. So I
5: ordered
0: it and I have it to read because Scott talked about it last time.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I will mention it again though because it's so good. Hopeland by uh, Ian McDonald is, is the best book I've read by him in a long time and I love all of his books. So um, there you go. It's, it's right. about a, it's, what, climate fiction, near future family stuff. It's, it's got a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot there.
5: All right. Uh, For me, I have uh, two or three that I'll mention. Um, I think the best book I read since we last met is The Women Could Fly by Megan Giddings. It is... I really liked it. I think it does what um, genre fiction does best, which is wrapping um, social commentary around, in this case, fantasy in just the right way. It is absolutely... um, a story. It's a, it's a, the main character is a black woman. It is absolutely a story about her place in society and specifically in a, uh, in women's place in society. This is a, uh, fantasy world where women are considered potential witches. It's basically like, what if witch burning culture extended everywhere? And every woman was considered a potential witch. And get, the result is a deeply oppressive society that controls what women can do. And so she's got a, uh, a friend who is gay, but uh, she's going to marry a man who is also gay just because if you're not married by 30 and you're a woman, you're, uh, you're, you're basically a witch and they'll burn you at the stake. Uh and this is a 28-year-old woman who is not married, who has a boyfriend, sort of. But th- then it's like, do I like him because he might be a way for me to find somebody so they stop asking me to marry people or um or not. Uh, do I actually like him? And then uh rolled all in here is that her mother basically disappeared at some point and everybody thinks she's a witch. Um uh, but she disappeared never to return or did she? And I, I, what I would say is, strangely, uh, there there is a moment when this character goes to a magical island full of witches, and I thought that was the least <laughs> interesting part of the book. I think it kind of drags <laughs> when they're around the witches and there's magical things that are happening. I think the stuff that where she's dealing with this oppressive society is actually way more interesting. Anyway, I it's really good. Um, I do recommend it. I think it is a. I think it is doing what. Uh certainly I like about genre fiction in terms of commenting on our world by not being in our world and uh although this is not necessarily my favorite genre to read um I'm very glad I read it I think it's very good. Um so the the women could fly and that which is yes that is literally what happens because they're <laughs> witches uh by Megan Giddings. I liked but didn't love how high we go in the dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu which was on a lot of best of the year lists. Um it, it's goodreads uh description begins with for fans of Cloud Atlas in Station <laughs> and Station 11. To which I would say a book that is not as good as them. Um, mm-hmm. It is a, it's really a short story collection with linked characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you you start thinking it's about one thing and then you discover it's not. It's about a, a bunch of other things. It's set in the future after a plague that is killing off lots of people and you follow sort of like different things. It gets super dark and people who've listened to me recommend books before. I kind of dig it when books get super dark. This book gets maybe made when... <sighs> You know, there's an amusement park, th- so the kids can have a nice time on the day they die. That kills them at the end of the day. Oof. Oh, it's that dark. Yeah, um,
3: I've read that. Oh, it's 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 grim.
5: It gets dark. It's Disney World. <laughs> I think. I think. Though ultimately, although I think. Um, I think Sequoia Nagamatsu is a really brilliant prose stylist. Uh, the stories don't fit together. And I think that the themes don't really fit together very well. It's a, it, it, the the stories are linked in terms of setting, but also I think kind of like not properly linked in a lot of ways. Uh, there are moments of brilliance and a lot of moments where it is, um, kind of like rambling and shambling. And I would say ultimately less than the sum of its parts. So, um, some brilliant stuff in there, but I don't think I can, I, I can give it a, a high recommendation. Um, speaking of James Thompson, who recommended a lot, of, who started reading books and recommended a lot of books in that book draft episode. Um, he recommended The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. And I just want to say, if, if if a modern take on epic fantasy is your jam, and you haven't read The Priory of the Orange Tree,
2: I feel called so. out. so. Do so. It's been on my list for so long.
5: It's like, okay, so here's the thing. It's like 800 pages long or something. It's incredibly long. It feels, I I actually am baffled about why it is not three books. It's broken up into like, you know, book one, book two, book three. Like, I think there's six. But like, if you took two of those each, like there are very clear moments where like, this could be the end of a book and then there could be another book. But Samantha Shannon, I guess she's got your back. She's just going to let you buy one book and get three books inside it. 850 page book a lot happening i mean it really does feel like almost like a lord of the rings-esque feeling of like did i just read one book or did i read six books it's a little like that um okay
0: fine i just bought it (laughs) but good
5: it's good like i heard james talk about it like "Eh, okay james i mean whatever uh yeah it's actually it's it is it's very very good at what it does uh and what it does is that epic kind of fantasy with a more modern take and uh yeah and it has a proper ending which i like there is a mm. prequel i believe that just came out um and when i was reading the book i was like is that a sequel is that second book in the series a sequel and i'm not going to after 850 pages i'm not going to get an ending no mm. it has a proper ending it ends it it it's a whole big story across A lot of pages, um, (laughs) but I would say very satisfying in the end. And then finally, I want to mention a book, um, and maybe this is just me being mean, but I just want to throw it out there because we talked about um, N.K. Jemisin's uh, new book series, which was, uh, what was the first? The City City We Became and The World We Make. It's it's just two books. There is no third book. It's not a trilogy. Um, I read The World We Make. Um, N.K. Jemisin is a very good writer. Um, it felt like her heart wasn't in it and I got to the end and there's an author's note at the end that says my heart wasn't in it (laughs) basically. Um, and it, her heart's not in it. It it really feels like she, it, it, I don't know, you know, again, if you're a completist, I guess, read it. Um, it's fine, but parts of it are very obvious. Um, it, 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 you know. It turns out that it's the Republicans who are the bad guys after all. Shocker, I know. Real shocker. Um, she, she's just It feels like she's not really even trying very hard. It's a, it is, honestly, it feels very much like she didn't want to leave that series unresolved. Um, and her author's note sort of says as much. So if you haven't read that series, or if you read that first book and you thought, I don't know if I want to read any more books in the series, I would say don't. I really would, um, although I think she's very talented, and I think that it's not a bad book. In the end, uh, among all the N.K. Jemison you could possibly read, this ain't it. So that's the world we make. Stay away unless you must, <laughs> must complete it. Fair. You have the
3: most downer of book
5: reviews. Sorry, the women can fly, and the Priority of the Orange Tree. Yes.
3: It's yeah, it's okay. Jason's book Rex and hey, Jason's. Hey non-reps. Deb, if you're not <laughs> careful,
5: you're going to have to go on the roller coaster that kills you. Um, See <laughs> uh, how high we go in the dark.
3: <laughs> my goodness, I started the book in October. I didn't finish it until January because I kept putting it down, thinking I don't need this in my life right yeah, now.
5: <laughs> it's dark. It's 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 real dark. All right, I think we've reached the end. But before we go, I need to tell everybody out there what we're reading next. And guess what, folks? The Nebula nominations, as has been mentioned a couple of times already. They came out, which means our long reading of shortlist fiction has begun (laughs) for 2023. We're going to start with two, just two. We're going to be gentle. Mm -hmm. We're going to read for the next time, The Mountain in the Sea, the best book about octopuses that Scott has read this year (laughs) by Ray Naylor. And we're going to read Spear by Nicola Griffith, which I'm told is a quick read. And we're going to read those for next time. And then we'll clean up the rest of them uh, as we go. But those will be our next two choices for the book club. And uh, can't re- can't wait to read about more octopuses. That's going to be great. Uh, let me thank my uh, panelists for being here on this episode of the book club. Aline Sims, thank you so much for your uh, opinions and many book recommendations.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reading about more more octopuses. It's, yeah, that's sure. my wheelhouse.
5: Yeah, you, you know more eight armed creatures in your life. Deb Stanish, thank you so much for being back on the book club.
3: Oh, you're quite welcome. You dragged me back in. I love it.
5: It's great. I'm very <laughs> glad that you are here with us now. Uh, the, our book club, you know, we're like needy. We, we want more people to bring cookies and, <laughs> and, 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 and wine. To, uh, yeah, and wine. Okay. I wasn't going to say the, the wine's Jeez. implied and cheese and, and crackers. Eric <laughs> Anzine, thank you.
0: Uh, turns out reality is more important than we thought.
5: Ooh. And mm. Scott McNulty, as always, thank you. Life is meaningless. it's all connected man it's all connected or something alright and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this podcast and for reading books Uh, if you don't do both of those things this podcast doesn't make any sense so glad you do both of those things (laughs) and we will check you out again at a later time or will it be earlier if we violate the time machine protocols which we probably will do who are we kidding but anyway see Mm. you sometime